The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them, and they would camp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you for reading that, brother, and thank you for leading us in worship. Very good, and prepared our hearts to hear from God this morning, did it not? Judges 6, 1 through 16 is where we are, as you just saw. Prior to going into that, let's go to God in prayer. Father, I pray, please, that even now, Lord, my heart is glad, it's rejoicing, the music was good and sweet, and Lord, I want to stay in this place of connect, being connected with you, and I pray, Lord, for all of us in here, that you would please push away distractions. Lord, cause us to be focused now. We all come from different things happening around us in our lives, no doubt some of them grievous, other things very joyful. What a mixture we have in this life. But Father, I pray that now, as we're here, that you would help us to be here. You have a word for each of us because this is the word of God. You'll be speaking to us, Lord, through it. 
and I pray that you would help us to focus on hearing your voice. Give us grace to walk in the, in the things that you command us to walk in and help us to be like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Again, Judges 6, 1 through 16 is where we're going to be. What we'll find today is uh, an ushering in of the next judge with uh, a bit of backstory as to why he was raised up, as you just heard read. The sermon essentially has two parts to it, therefore. Uh, We'll look at why the next judge was raised up, and then we'll look at who this next judge is that is raised up. But I've titled the message this morning, God saw who he could be. God saw who he could be. And that's basically this is Gideon uh, part one. Okay, (laughs) We're going to look at Gideon a lot uh, soon. Um, But I'm going to tell you this about Gideon. Since I don't have the knowledge or wisdom of God, uh, I myself would not have chosen Gideon to be judge of Israel. Just looking at Gideon, I would not have chosen him. Because you see, I'm looking through limited eyes. But God's eternal, all-knowing eyes knew who this judge could be. He saw him for who he could be when God was with him. I believe this message will not only bolster your faith in God this morning, but I also think that it will encourage you uh, that God sees you for who you can become when you're closely connected with him. It's someone quite spectacular because that someone will be made more and more into the image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. And who doesn't want that? Whoever is in earshot of my voice right now who knows the Lord Jesus, who doesn't want to be more like him? So let's look at verses one and two. Let's jump right in because we have a lot of ground to cover and it's all glorious ground. The people of Israel do what's evil in the sight of God, we're told. In verse 1, the Lord gives them over into the hand of Midian for seven years, we're told. And it says in verse 2, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. The people of Israel were overpowered by the Midianites because, just like it says, we're told that God himself gave them over into their hand. God did this. God was opposing Israel because, why? Because of their pride. Their pride, they thought, in their pride, they thought that they knew better than God. Isn't that just the root of all pride? I think I know better than God does. I see what he says here. I think I know better. They thought that what he commanded them was not the correct way to a a whole life, a joyful life, a fulfilled life, a meaningful life. It wasn't the way to become who they were made to be, which was someone in connection with the Lord God, in union with him, perfect union. And that's where we find our fulfillment, our joy, our peace, our happiness, meaning to what life is. They believed that the reasoning of their own sinful minds was above the reason of the holy God. So they chose to disobey him. Yet again, we have the sin cycle happening here again. Be sure of this, though. 
God continues to resist the proud. He continues to give them over to their own folly. What does it say in James 4, 6, except this, God opposes the proud. He opposes them. Thank God for the rest of that next verse, right? He gives grace to the humble. What else does it say about the proud? Proverbs 16, 5. I was reading this just the other day. And it was one of those moments where you read it and you think, I've never read that before. But I've read through the whole Bible, so I've obviously read it at some point, but it jumped off the page. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. The proud of heart will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16, 5. If you're placing yourself above the word of God, first of all, that's pride. Horrible pride. Because you think you know better than God at that point. Anytime we look at this word and we say, yeah, but we've devolved into a prideful state. And if you believe that placing yourself above the word of God, if you believe that it doesn't apply to you, if you believe your, your what I'm saying is if you believe the Bible doesn't apply to you, if you believe your reason is more sound than God's reason, your downfall is very near. It's so near, it's at the very door of your life. And be sure of this, the proud will not go unpunished. So you won't succeed against the hand of the Lord. He will give you over to the foolishness of your own twisted heart, just like he did here for the people of Israel. Yet again, they fall into this again and again and again. Granted, a few different generations go by because we hear about God giving them rest for, what's it say, 80 years. So granted, these are not the same people every single time. But still, we see the same folly happening again and again. It's just like the first original sin. Uh, it disrupted God's good order of things and, and caused Adam and Eve to, to fear and hide. Remember that? What was the initial reflex of the heart of Adam and Eve after they sinned, it was, we hear the sound of God walking in the garden, we're afraid, let's hide. And so now the people of Israel have once again disrupted the good order and good plan of God, just like Adam and Eve did when they disobeyed God's word. These people are once again disrupting the good order and good plan of God that he has for all of his people through his word. And what do we see? We see fear. They're now having to get creative and inventive with where they're going to hide themselves. They create caves and and dens for their safety. They have to run and hide in a den like animals. And verses 3 through 6 show us why they're fearful and why they feel this, this, this need to hide. What's it, what's it say there? Well, it says that stronger nations, nations that come in like swarms of locusts. We're not farmers, especially in this part of the world where locusts are somewhat common. We don't know this experience, though. We've seen movies and, and maybe even images of that happening in real life, though. And it is like a dark cloud descending upon the land. And as you know, those locusts eat Every green thing. 
And when they leave, there's only brown twigs left. They devour everything, and then they're gone. And these people came in and devoured every good thing. They descended upon Israel like a swarm of locusts, bringing their own desires for, for, for wealth and goods with them. They rob Israel of their goods as well. They don't just take their crops and let their animals just eat it all. It says that their camels came in like without number. And these camels are hungry and they eat as well. And then the people have to eat. And then they also take all of their sheep and oxen and donkeys, it says. So they're essentially devouring Israel's livelihood, everything they would need for milk and meat and clothing, the wool from the animals, they, they take it all. They took it all. They ran and hid themselves in caves and dens like animals. And it says in verse 6, Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Let me say this about sin, and I have an image for this as well because I want it to be in your mind. If you follow sin's ways, you get sin's wages. This is exactly what we're seeing in Israel. This trouble has come upon them because of their sin, because they chose to disobey God. If you follow sin's ways, you get sin's wages, trouble, even death. And this is exactly what's happening to them. They're fearful, and now they're robbed and poor. And when the people move out after they've devoured the land and the people of Israel come out of the caves and dens, what do they see? Nothing. We have absolutely nothing. They've left us nothing. And that's what they get. This is, in fact, what God said they would get for their foolishness. Well, what they do in response to this hardship? The text tells us they cried out to the Lord. Now they cry out to the Lord when it's hard, when they want help. What did God do in response to their cries? Well, God actually did do something. He's a merciful God. What's he do? Does he wave his hand over the land and all of a sudden, it's like a split screen. It's all green and grows up again. Did he do that? Did he cause animals to come out of nowhere like he did on the day of the creation? Because he could have done that. He could have just spoken and animals exist because he did that. He didn't do that, though, did he? He could have, but he didn't. You see, that wasn't their greatest need. Their greatest need at that moment, their greatest need wasn't crops and animals, food. That wasn't their greatest need. So what's he do? He addresses their greatest need. He raised up someone to go and tell them the truth. Did you see that? Did you notice that in the text? He raises up this prophet in verses six through, I mean seven through ten rather, lest the people think this is just some string of unfortunate circumstances. The Lord sends them a prophet. And this man remains nameless in our narrative. He's nameless. But as God's mouthpiece, he doesn't remain speechless. We don't get his name, but we get his message. 
And you know, church, as, as ambassadors for Christ, our responsibility and our privilege is very similar to this man's. It's to speak truth concerning our Lord, concerning his word, concerning his gospel, uh, especially when there's judgment upon the land, as there is judgment upon our land. No sane person can look at the United States right now. I should say no sane Christian, because not every person's going to see it as judgment. No sane Christian, I believe, can look at our nation right now and not see judgment. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Do we have that? Thank you, brother, very much. Talking about speaking for Christ. Talking about speaking truth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Paul says, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I like that. The old has passed away. The new has come. Some of us need to hear that afresh. Because guess what? I don't even have to guess. I don't even have to guess. Some of you are still tormented by your past. Even if you're a Christian. I believe some of you still are tormented by some of the horrible things you've done in your past. And the word of God says, the old has passed away and the new has come. There's two types of Christians that never grow. Those who are saved and think they're not and those who are not saved and think they are. I should say there's two different types of people. Those who are saved and think they're not and those who are not saved and think they are. Those two types of people never grow. If the devil can keep you in the past and keep you doubting, you won't grow. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, praise God, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have that ministry of reconciliation. Okay, tell me more, Paul. How? How do I have it? That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus taking the punishment for our sins that we deserve so that that wrath doesn't have to fall on me. God's making reconciliation between man and God through Christ, not counting their trespasses against them. There it is. Not counting their trespasses against them. If you're in Christ, by faith, the punishment that's supposed to fall on you fell on Christ. Don't live there anymore. That sin's already been dealt with. If you're a slave to your past, that's a cage you're creating for yourself. That's not what the Word of God says. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He says he's entrusting it to us. If I gave you, let's say I gave you some large sum of money and I said, listen, I'm, I'm entrusting you with this. What does that mean? Well, that means I expect you to not be foolish with it, right? I expect you to not treat it as your own. It's not yours. It's it's mine. If I'm saying I'm I'm entrusting this to you, that means when I come back in a month or whatever, I expect to to get it all back. I'm saying, hold this for me. I'm, I'm entrusting it. You say, I have a responsibility to not act foolishly with this thing. And it's the same way. God's entrusting the message to us. He's entrusted us with it. We're not to act foolishly with it. We're not to change it, soften it. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
God making his appeal through us. What's our appeal, Paul? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How does that happen, Paul? How are we reconciled to God? Verse 21, for our sake, he made him, that's God made Jesus, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's how it happens. It's a great exchange at the cross that I've talked about many times. God made him, Jesus, who was sinless, who knew no sin, to be sin. He so identified himself with our sin when he was being punished for it, it can be called that he became sin. And yes, it, it, it went dark on that day. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is imputed into our account when our sin was imputed into his account. And you get that by faith, by believing that that's true, by believing that applies to you by faith. Amen for that. So just like this prophet, we are spokesmen for God. We have a message too, like this prophet had. This man whom God sent, was he a prophet? Yes, he was a prophet, but he wasn't that different from you and I. Let me explain. We sometimes see prophets in the Old Testament as um, just like a bit more special than us, and in some ways they are, but we almost see them as not even totally like human. They're like super saints, and they just don't, they don't exist on the realm with us down here, us little people. They don't have our struggles, our hardships. They've got their, their head in heaven and their feet on the earth, so they're just totally different from us, and that's just not always the case. They have a different command. They have a different ministry. But he was also a sinner, this man. He also believed God at his word, like we have to do. He's also saved by grace, like we are. More than likely, he had a family. He had to work to provide for that family. He had fears and apprehensions in his life like we do. But he was a man like we are. Special, yes. But just a man, a God-chosen man. And when he received a command from God, he also had a choice to do something with that command, like you and I do too. He wasn't a robot. He had a choice to make. He could have chosen to keep his mouth shut and to stay out of it. He could have, think about this, he could have responded and said, you know, gosh, this message, Lord, that you want me to give to them, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow. I mean, haven't these people already suffered enough? Bless their hearts, they, they, they had to hide in caves. And think about how the children must have felt, too, hiding with mommy and daddy, shoved way back in a cave, and they got their crops stolen and their animals stolen. You know, I don't want to cause them to suffer anymore, Lord. I mean, by basically telling them it's their fault. How about this? You know what? I'll, I'll take them some food. I'll take them some food. I know they're hungry. I'll take them some food, and if I get the opportunity, I'll say something like, have a blessed day. And won't that be witness enough, Lord? But partial obedience is what? No obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. He was a man like us, and he had to choose to speak, just like we have to. 
And what was his message? Let's look at verses 8 through 10. He tells them, number one, is it's ultimately the Lord who's speaking to them, okay? It's ultimately the Lord who's speaking to them. He says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. That's how he starts out. And then he reminds them of three different things. He says that God delivered his people. He says God fought for his people and that God has a command for his people. Let's look at each of those. Number one, God reminds them of how he delivered them. Look at the rest of verses eight and nine. I've led you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of slavery, delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. So he reminds them, God reminds them, I'm the one who delivered you in the past. Number two, he reminds them how he fought for them. Look at the rest of verse nine. And I, I drove them out from before you. This is talking about when they go into the promised land. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I delivered you and I fought for you. And then lastly, the Lord reminds them through the mouth of this prophet. And I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Then God tells them his message. You have not obeyed my voice. You've disobeyed me. I gave you a command, and you disobeyed it. And that's where the section ends. That's it for the prophet. Now, keep all this in mind as we move on to the account of the Lord calling Gideon. I told you this, this kind of has two parts. Why Gideon needed to be called, and then the calling of Gideon. So keep that in mind about what the prophet said as we now move on to this part of God calling Gideon. Now, the book of Judges covers the account of Gideon for three chapters. Three whole chapters we get Gideon's narrative. No judge has yet received this much attention, and no judge actually will get this much again until Samson. Samson gets a bit more. He gets four chapters, if I'm not mistaken. And this tells us, though, that these details for the next three chapters that the Holy Spirit inspired this author to write are important. We get a lot of information about what God did here with Gideon, more than we've gotten so far. Look at verses 11 and 12. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, that's um, Gideon's dad, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The angel of the Lord is a somewhat mysterious character in Scripture. He often appears as a man initially and is believed to simply be just that, a man, by those who are speaking to him. But then he, he does things and he says things that only the Lord can do and only the Lord can say. He sometimes speaks on behalf of the Lord, and then he sometimes speaks as if he is the Lord. He's a mysterious character. It's, I mean, there's whole books written about him, okay? That's a different sermon altogether. So you can see why he's a mysterious character, though, because he's got all these different... He's just unique. Obviously, when he appears to Gideon, he's, he's in the form of an ordinary man at first because Gideon isn't shocked when he sees him. Uh, he simply begins carrying on a conversation with him. 
It's interesting how the conversation starts, though. The angel of the Lord begins the conversation with, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. You know, I want to park on that statement for a second. The first part of that statement is the only thing that makes the second part of that statement possible. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The first person in that statement is the only one who makes the second person in that statement possible. He can only be a mighty man of valor if the Lord is with him, right? Only if the Lord is with him can he be that. God saw who Gideon could be. Because when we first walk up on Gideon, he's hiding. He's threshing out wheat in a wine press. Threshing out wheat was normally something that you did at the top of a hill where the wind would blow pretty strong. You'd throw that wheat up in the air again and again and again because the wind would blow the chaff away, just light little nothing stuff from the wheat blows that away, but the wheat's heavy, so it keeps falling back down. You just throw it up again and again and again until all that blows away, all that stuff that you can't eat blows away, so you're just left with the nice kernels of wheat. And he's doing it in a wine press, which would not be big. Wine press is in a circle. Usually the women would hold onto a pole in the middle and just walk around and squish the grapes again and again and again until you had all this grape juice that you then made into wine. It's not that big. So he's hiding. The angel of the Lord calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. That word valor is translated elsewhere in the Old Testament as strong, able, valiant. Gideon is seen by God as if he's like that. Even though when he finds him and says that to him, what's he doing? Hiding. He's hiding. The first person in that statement is the one who makes the second person possible. It's all about the presence of God. The presence of God. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Is God with you? Is he with you? This Emmanuel, God with us, is he with you? If he is, if he is, and you walk in obedience to him, you can become mighty. Only with his presence. That's the only way it can and will happen. Gideon doubts the initial greeting, though, which is more than a greeting. It's a statement. The Lord's with you is the greeting slash statement. But in his reply, he really shows his hand. He really, we really get to see Gideon's heart and mind here with his reply. He shows he's angry and he's doubting God. Did you see his reply? I mean, look at him. Somebody walks up and says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And he doesn't say, wow, uh, it's nice to meet you. Who, wow, the Lord's with me? And you think I'm, my, hmm. Now, what's he say? Verse 13. 
please, my Lord. And if you see there, that word Lord is lowercase, that first one. It's like saying sir. I mean, Sarah called Abraham Lord. Um, it's like in Spanish, the word sir and the word Lord, God of heaven, Lord, are the same. Señor. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. If the Lord's with us, sir, then why is all this bad stuff happening? Wow, Gideon, bring it down. He's showing his hand, too, in that he's also revealing that he has a very American view of God. Listen to this. He's essentially saying, if God's with us, then nothing bad is ever supposed to happen. And if something bad does happen, then it's, it's God's fault, not my fault. Sure, I rarely ever read his word. And sure, when I do read it, I don't really uh, uh, apply it to my life and actually live it. And, and sure, I show that I don't really live it since I live in perfect contrast to what it says. And yes, it says that those who live that way are under his judgment. But it's God's fault that bad things are happening to me. If God was really with us, the bad stuff wouldn't be happening. Of course, I'm not referring to events that we perceive to be bad, that God and his sovereignty means in our life for good. I'm not referring to those. I'm talking about ones that we bring upon ourselves because of our sin. If the Lord's with us, then why is all this happening to us, sir? I'll tell you why it's happening, Gideon. Sin. You and your people have either committed outright sin or you're, you're tolerating the sin around you, Gideon. And with Gideon's next statement, he brings down even more blame upon himself without knowing it. Watch what Gideon says next. Look at the rest of verse 13. And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord's forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? So next, he's admitting that his predecessors had done their part in recounting the deeds of the Lord to him. You see that? Somebody shared the truth with him which, number two, only furthers his guilt because if he's heard the truth and then openly rebels against it, it's worse than having never heard it at all. So now he's in an even worse place because he's admitting, I've heard about the Lord's wonderful deeds. And then number three, he shows he never really grasped the word of God because he's diverting blame he says, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian as if God has done him some injustice, as if he's the innocent party. The Lord, it's just the Lord. He's this bad guy. He's given us over into the hand of, of, of the Midianites. If he was with us, we wouldn't be in their hand, you know, because we're the Jews. And just nothing bad is supposed to happen to us if, if God's really good. Heard that before? Thought that before? Yes. That is a very Americanized way of thinking. And we see it's not just an Americanized way of thinking. 
We've been to, we've lived in two other countries besides this one. It's a human way of thinking. It's just human. Church, the Lord is righteous, which means he's only capable of doing right. He's only capable of doing right. We are unrighteous, and we're given over to our unrighteousness, which means, given the choice, we'll choose sin over God. In our unrighteous state, we will choose sin over God. It's our nature. It's our nature. Just like if you put raw meat in front of a lion or a Caesar salad, his, he's going to eat the meat because he's a lion. That's his nature. It's his nature. If you were another creature who is a herbivore, he would eat the salad because that's that one's nature. Until your nature is changed, you'll go with what you want. And sinners sin because that's who they are. They don't become sinners when they sin. They sin because they're sinners. And I should say, we. Just like Adam and Eve hid from God when they had sinned because God now made them uncomfortable and they didn't want to be around him anymore, Gideon is venting. He's angry. And his anger is, it's misaligned. His anger should be pointed at his own sin. And the sin of the people around him, just like when Isaiah saw the living God, when Isaiah saw the living God seated on his throne, high and lifted up, what did he say? Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Let me say this, a right understanding of God produces a right understanding of sin. A right understanding of God will naturally produce a right understanding of sin. Show me someone who's flippant and cavalier about their sin and always angry at God for something he did, and I'll show you a person who does not understand God rightly. They've invented some God that they're happy with, but it's not the God of Scripture. The Lord had the amazing ability to see Gideon for who he could be if he walked alongside him. So I'm telling you right now, if I had walked up on Gideon, he's hiding, doing his work like all secret. I don't want to be found. I'm scared of these guys. And he starts venting about God and all this stuff and how, where's his wonderful deeds that I've heard about? If God were with us, I would have been like, yeah, not that guy. I don't want to choose that guy to, to be a leader. There's another word for L. I mean, he's not a leader. There's an the, there's the L word that I do want to call him. He's more like that. And God's able to see who he can be when God's with him. And I, there's some people that also have that ability. I found that they're usually women. Usually women are able to sort of look at someone, compassionate, merciful, kind women, usually look, able to see someone acting like a total knucklehead, usually their own children, and see there's some redemption there. I don't know if it's just because I've got a little bit more of a leadership bone in my body. I know I've got to keep sailing the ship forward no matter what happens. You know, people want to jump off the boat. I don't want them to, but guess what? I, I still have to s sail the ship. 
forward. So I can't look back and be like, listen, if you're not going to help the ship sail, okay, then, then go. We've we, we got to get going forward. Some people have the other gift where they're able to say, no, 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 no. He doesn't have to jump off the ship. Yes, he wants to. But we're going to try to keep him from jumping. Like, okay, you, you go for it. But I have to keep sailing forward here. Hope it works out. I got to keep going forward. And we're all given different gifts for different reasons. Usually, people that are more given to able to sit down beside someone for long amounts of time and continue to be patient with them, they're, they're usually not given the gift of leadership, but they're very important, aren't they? And so we're all very different. And I'm just telling you right now, I would have walked right by Gideon and said, I'm going to go find someone else. Don't really like you. But God sees with eyes that I don't see with. And praise God for that. Because <laughs> Cohen Ezel is far from perfect. And I would have wrecked this universe a long time ago <laughs> if I was running it. God saw Gideon for who he could be when he walked alongside his God. On the outside, Gideon was cowardly, angry, self-deceived. But the Lord saw him nonetheless in a different light. Verse 14, go in this might of yours, save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Wow. He says, ooh, ooh, that anger? Use it, channel it, save Israel with it. Praise God. Oh, but Gideon doesn't want to get involved. Gideon wants to see change. Yes, he wants to see change. Where's, where's all the good stuff? I wish it was better. But he doesn't want to be the agent of that change, does he? Look at verse 15. He said to him, please, Lord. Ooh, now the Lord's different. How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. I've got a slide for this. So three things. Gideon thinks he's not the man the Lord is, is seeing because he's, three reasons he gives with his statement. Number one, Gideon only considers himself. How can I save Israel, he says. Number one, he's only considering himself. Number two, he's only considering his own strength. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And number three, he's only considering his position. And I'm the least in my father's house. He's only thinking about himself, his own strength, and his own position. And what he has totally left out of the equation is his God. Do you see that? How can I do this? I can't do it for, for these reasons. Well, I agree with you. You can't do it on your own. What he's leaving out of the equation is who is saying this to him and what he said to him in the first place. He's leaving out the who, which is God, and he's leaving out the what, which is what God said to him. And what did God say to him? It's really interesting. Look at verse 16. The Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I'm almost done here, guys. Listen. This is a I will be with you sandwich, or I'm with you sandwich. What did he, what's the first word the angel of the Lord who has now become the Lord, and we'll see, keeps going, at morphing into now the Lord, Yahweh. It's just, this is how the angel of the Lord acts sometimes. <laughs> he's, he's a mystery. He comes up to him and he says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. 
And now what's the last thing he says to him here in verse 16? But I'll be with you. That's what makes all the difference for any of us. The Lord being with you. You look at yourself and you often only consider yourself and your strength and your position like Gideon did. That's one of my struggles whenever we were without a pastor for a year. I had a pastor during that year's time where I was telling the elders even like, nope, I'm, I'm not the next person to be pastor of this church. I'm not the guy. I was looking at all these things. I was thinking, I'm not good enough for that position. We need someone better than me, which I, I mean, I, I know for a fact there are men out there who could pastor this church better than me. There, there, there are. They're out there. He's out there. And I even would want someone to come in and do better than me. Not because I don't want to be in this position, but just because I want the best for y'all. So I would want him to be here. So I was looking at myself and thinking, not good enough for that role. And really, who is? Next, I was thinking, and I'm definitely not going to be part two of our former uh, pastor. I mean, I'm definitely not like him. I mean, just, he's just gifted in ways that I'm not. And then number three, I was like, and for crying out loud, I don't have a doctorate. He had his doctorate. I'm still working on a master's. And I was just looking at all those things, and I was like, I'm not the guy. And here I am. <laughs> God wanted me to be the guy. We tend to do this. We do this, don't we? Just what Gideon did. We look at ourselves, we look at our strength, we look at our position. And God sees us for who he can be when he's with us. Ending with this. That's the missing link in Gideon's thinking. The Lord. The Lord with you is the one who will make you into who you could truly be. The Lord with you is the one who can make you into who you could truly be, just like he's going to do for Gideon as he saves his people. Let's pray. Father, your word is living and active. It is rich. So much here today, Lord. So much. What a feast. I pray, Lord, that you were speaking to each one of us, and I pray that you would help us to walk in obedience to what you've called us to do. I know that this was not just an information download. You were, in fact, speaking to our hearts to make us more like your dear son, Jesus Christ. Some of us, in what we need to do next, I believe you put certain things on people's heart that they needed to do next. I also believe that you pointed at some things in our lives that you wanted purged as well. Attitudes, actions, certain things. Lord, whatever it is in all of our lives, maybe just correcting a wrong way of thinking that's also affecting our actions. Lord, I pray, give us grace, please, to walk with you in obedience and become those people who you know we can be. In Jesus' name, amen.